you're no longer sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Your interests really go and have a greater impact, not just on technology, but really everyday life. This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. Open up your notebooks, let's dive in. All right, Trey, welcome to Glasses in Session. It's good to have you here. How are you doing today? Thank you, doing well. Great, yeah, it's it's wonderful to be chatting with someone else at Claris. Um, someone else just in a completely different department. We've had so many different kinds of conversations already on Glasses in Session. Um, Jason Perrett talked all about healthcare, and now I'm excited to dig into education, which I think is another one of your biggest markets. Um, tell me a bit about how large that market really is. Well, it's huge in the United States. Uh, for Claris, it is our um, largest vertical market that we call on. And uh, we've really begun to focus on it the last couple of years, and it's paid off in spades. Yeah, well, I can see why, too. Uh, there's so much change going on in higher education right now, not only trends in how college facilities are evolving, but the kinds of people that are using these facilities, uh, they're coming at this from a very different angle. And I think that's the best place to start this conversation, Trey, is looking at why higher education is such an exciting place to be selling really any kind of product right now. And I think the answer comes down to who the students are and basically how their upbringing is a little different than what we're used to. But yeah, give me a little insight on why higher education is so enticing right now. It's grown and grown over the last few years. There's been more and more money poured into facilities uh, just because of the swell of the student population in the university level in general. Uh, Part of that swell has to do with uh, there's a lot of adults going back to college, believe it or not. And um, we know all about that generation, how they learn, and um, they're professional now, and they're going back to get either their first or second degree and uh, doctorate or whatever it is. So that's been an interesting uh, shift, especially with community colleges and trade schools and that type of things for older adults. Uh, but really where we have focused our attention at Claris is to see this gigantic swell of new students into the university space called Generation Z. They're going to be the largest population in our country in about two and a half years. So um, not only that, but they're just such an influence on how facilities are getting designed these days and uh, how, frankly, professors are teaching. Just to give you a sense of how large the Generation Z population will be by 2020, 40% of all consumers. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Not a small margin. No, 40% of all consumers. That's, that translates into 2.56 billion in, by 2020. I mean, it's huge. And so, you know, the things that you're already starting to see is just the general age rel- relative category in advertising come down a little bit. And it will continue to shift lower. Uh, that's, you, know, you see it all, all around you. Everything's shifting to that lower age demographic to appeal to that, that group. Um, it's just because it's such a swell. And what that looks like in education is, or should look like, is how are we attracting the best and the brightest Generation Zs to our school? Now, it stands to reason you probably want to have a Generation Z defined. 
Um, millennials are, are a certain age group. Let me just tell you where Z is. Z is ages 7 to 23. So the oldest generation Zs are already graduating or should have. They are merging into the workplace now. The youngest generation Zs are in first grade. And so that, that bigger swell is coming. Only four years of that big swell of, of kids have reached the university level yet. So uh, that just it helps you define exactly who we're talking about here. Right, exactly. And now that they are becoming the core of, of the university and they're really defining how universities should evolve, I think those Gen Z students are demanding something different from the university, something that perhaps they aren't used to. So tell me a bit about that. You know, what does this new generation expect out of their higher education? And how does something like a glass board fit into that equation? <laughs> I always tell people I'm no expert in Generation Z. I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, however, uh, I have been studying for Generation Z kids for 17 years now. Right. And they uh, <laughs> happen to look the best kind to... of research possible. <laughs> Home study. Right. Uh, it's, uh, they happen to look like me and live in my household. Um, and I, what I can tell you is that uh, all the research that Claris has done fits mostly to my four Generation Z kids. Um, and there are some outliers too, but I, I'll tell you a, a little bit about how they operate. It's really the this generation is vastly different from, let's just say, the parent parental generation, Generation Z, which is Gen X, right? And that's my generation. Uh, vastly different. They're even slightly different than millennials, which is Gen Y. Um, so here's here's how they're different. You know, one of the things where they differ is their just overall perspective in life like what their aspirations are in their life. Generally speaking, you'd be probably surprised to know, Daniel, security and stability hmm. is what what they're all about. And that's like the oldest generations, which are, you know, like my parents. I mean, that's really where they played. And uh, so it's interesting that they have this about them, that they, they are not as willy-nilly and footloose and fancy-free as you'd think. And uh, we, we have a lot of theories as to maybe that why that is. But uh, so they're, they're really based on security and stability. That's really their mindset. That's what they that's one of the lenses they look through to make sure that their life is clicking on all cylinders. Um, you've mentioned that techno technology is integrated in their life since birth. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I mean, technoholics would be an understatement. Right. And uh, that is not a blame kind of thing, or we don't scoff at that. It's just where we are in our world. Right. Um, they are born with an iPhone in their hands. My, I have a 10-year-old uh, Gen Z who the other day said, uh, hey, Google, where's mommy's purse? <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and one day Google will be able to tell them that. Another difference that you're probably going to see with Generation Zs is that they're going to be career multitaskers. So, how they even look at their career as to what they want to do and how they want to pick up the needle and shift a little bit is different than even we Xers and Ys. I'll tell you a little bit about us Xers. Typically, we will stay within an industry. We might move jobs or companies, but we won't move industries. Does that make sense? Yes. Zs look at that differently. They will just as adeptly change jobs and industries as they will change companies. Hmm. So they'll, they're already projecting this generation to do that. 
Why? Well, they, they look and see that, you know what, these kids want their hobbies to be their profession. So they're probably going to have like three irons in the fire at once. They're going to be your Uber drivers, your Etsy page owners, your digital entrepreneurs. And uh, they're really going to uh, have multiple streams of income probably. So their main eight to five jobs probably going to be only one of their sources of income. So they're going to be able to move around in not just companies, but industries. So it's a mix of both stability and versatility. That's a, that's a great combination. Seems to be for them. Yeah. It works for them. Right. And so how are you seeing that translate back into the actual higher education market and the facilities that now house these Generation Z students? What is changing in those facilities? There's a lot that's changing. You know, you think about how digital Gen Z is, and in the midst of all that digitalness, um, there is still a realization by this generation that face-to-face -face interaction is important. Yeah. They can text all day long. They can, you know, instant message this and that. But really, they value that face-to-face. -face. There's something about it that this generation craves. And you can see that. My daughter is a senior in high school now. And uh, last year, she was working on a project and walked in her room and was, Gracie, what you doing? She's like, Daddy, get back. You know, and I, I was like, what are you doing? And she was just working on this paper with two other people. And their, their faces were on the screen while she was having a Zoom meeting with her classmates. Hmm. So there, it, there is a, a real uh, pull from their minds to interact face-to-face, -face. whether that's FaceTime or Zoom or whatever it is, even on a device, they like that face-to-face -face interaction. Now, how does that translate to school? That was the original question. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like this. In K-12, through there has been a shift, generally speaking, to innovative ways to deliver curriculum, whether that be flipped classrooms, active learning, uh, just all sorts of different ways to, uh, to distribute the information. Uh, what I can say is that the way your mom and dad and your our grandparents learned and even we learned is not going to cut it for Gen Z. Um, for example, project-based learning, it's called PBL out there in the education world is very popular in K through 12 right now. Project-based learning takes a topic and you attach a, a lot of different uh, aspects of that topic into it. So for instance, you would, uh, there's a very popular one called pumpkin chunking, pumpkin chunking as they call mm -hmm. it. And you build a catapult that throws a pumpkin as far as you can make it throw it. So think of what you could learn in that. First of all, there'd be a report. So you'd, you'd report on it and that's English. Uh, there's science and to the physics of all that. There's math. And so they wrap all these different topics around one project. That's project-based learning. Pretty innovative, right? Right. Okay, so when you, go to, when you go to college, do they really do that much, that type of learning anymore? Not really. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't get pumpkin chunking, so... <laughs> and we're way past that. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the only time I ever chunk pumpkins. All right. Um, and, and so there's another there's another trend, uh, a flipped classroom, usually in math and science. A flipped classroom is where instead of doing it the old-fashioned way, you first are introduced to the curriculum at home through a video. Whether that's your teacher or some other uh, professor, you learn at home first. And then you get to school and you do what would have otherwise been homework. So you do the 
practicum part of your lesson with a table of students and the teacher is more of a facilitator of learning, not a didactic somebody who stands at the front and lectures for 50 minutes. So those are some of the ways in K through 12 that this generation is used to learning. So flip the page, graduate, go into the university setting. Are we seeing that now? I guess that's rhetorical, but Daniel, what do you think? I mean, I'd say if we're not seeing it at a totally ubiquitous level, we're at least seeing professors and perhaps whole departments and schools making that shift because there's not really a lot of time left to slowly transition. I mean, you've got a plethora of Gen Z students already at the university level, so we're probably already seeing at least a good amount of it. So let me give you some insight into that. Over the past 10 months with Claris and leading their education sales, I've traveled and in person to 92 universities. And through some of that, these little stories pop up. Like We were with a community college in Utah back in the spring. And we asked this question, you know, like, are you teaching using some of these innovative new methods now? And the answer was well, what you said. We realize we should be, and yeah, we really want to get there, but uh, we're, we're at least five years out. And so I thought, okay, well, five years out. Uh, you, so I guess you have a master plan to kind of switch over that methodology or whatever, and they said, well, not really. We just know that all of our professors who are giving us the biggest pushback, they'll be dead or gone or retired by then. <laughs> <laughs> Grim, but true. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, anyway, so that was their approach. So while there is a maybe a realization by universities to adopt some of these new tech, uh, technologies and, and ways to distribute information, they aren't really there yet. So uh, from Claris's perspective, we can help them on the product side. One story I want to insert here, if I may. Go ahead. I, I late... love a personal anecdote. Even though in your survey you filled out, you said you've never been bitten by a snake, so <laughs> you wouldn't need an anecdote, which that definitely yeah. made my day. Good. I have some <laughs> snake stories if we want to go there. But for now, I'd rather just inter interject this story from LinkedIn. It was about three months ago, and I found this story. It was a professor from Ohio State. Listen to this. Tell me if you, you think she doesn't know her constituents and who she's teaching. She's a journalism professor. Love it. I'll go ahead and say her name because I want to brag on her. Her name's Nicole Kraft from Ohio State University. She takes attendance in her class via Twitter. She posts coursework on Slack, and her office hours start at 10 p.m., and they're on, via video conference on Zoom. Hmm. Now, that is, that is some reality there. I mean, she knows, <laughs> she knows her students are probably up till 1 in the morning anyways. Amen, brother. I mean, so, you know, when you look at that type of uh, reaction from a professor, she gets it. She understands who she's teaching. So here's, here's where I want to go with this. How does that translate into space for the university? You know, the, the designers and architects and uh, in-house designers from universities, when they look at what they want their classrooms to be, you know, how, how do they filter all this new generation's needs into that? And we feel like it's, it's really important to understand. All of the architects that ever design a classroom, they've been through school that teaches them how to, it's called programming. And programming just means you sit down, 
with the end users and, you, and the people who have stake in this facility and you ask, start asking, asking them questions. How do you need to use this? What are you all about? What do you value? So the best universities that I've visited this year, they're there and they've asked and they're tweaking their facilities to actually accommodate uh, Generation Z. And the ones who need catch up, you'd be surprised. Some of them are very prominent and they're just kind of stuck in their ways. Um, kind of like that community college in yeah. Utah. But here are some of the aspects that Generation Z is demanding right now. Uh, first of all, the ways that they learn. Now, it's interesting because K through 12, where they've been, uh, K for so long, 12, 13 years now, where they've been typically does employ these other types of pedagogy and really stretches the limits. There's even something called the gamification of education. Yeah. Uh, where it, apps like Cahoots, all the kids, you know, 90% of all 13 year olds and above have uh, cell phones and they're usually smartphones. Well, there's a game called Cahoots where the teacher can uh, lecture and then at the end of the lesson say, okay, you know, I want you to get your phones out, but at the end of the lesson and they play this game, it's like a game show. They divide up into groups. Whoever answers first gets the most points and it tracks them. So they, they have all these really neat styles of teaching. So what they're demanding now is different style of teaching than what you typically see a professor in college bring to the table. What are professors professors usually uh, bring to the table? Well, they usually teach like they were taught a 50 minute lecture standing at the front, whipping through some slides or just talking out of their notes, you know, and think about it, Daniel. Um, and, and why are some of these professors needing to catch up? I believe it's because the way they get their gig is they, they just go to school for a long time. They are content masters and that is to be applauded. Uh, however, the, your K through 12 teachers, they go to school to learn how to teach. The content is secondary. They can teach anything right. because they know how to teach content. So it's just an interesting dynamic when you get to college as to, and you know, the, the reward system, the, how they climb the ladder in universities different than K through 12 um, professors in, the university system, systems, uh, what is it? They get tenure from research, from being published. I, I've never heard a teacher getting more money or tenure from how well they taught their students. Yeah, right. And so now where does Claris fit into this picture? Just real briefly so we can wrap up here. I'd like to know uh, how are glass boards sort of meeting this new requirement of flexibility, of interactivity um, and you know that that aesthetic need too it sounds like that live work play people want somewhere beautiful to live to work to um, to collaborate and so the glass board must also fill that niche it does uh, Claris manufactures glass collaborative surfaces that is the easiest way I can say it in the university application of our product glass collaborative surfaces. So what does that look like? Uh, we have basically marker boards, like dry erase marker boards made out of glass. Glass is probably the best writing surface in the world. It's not just the most beautiful, as you mentioned, because uh, we can make it any color, but it has the, the best writing feel to it because it's non-porous. It never absorbs any debris or, you know, markers. You can write it with Sharpie. I mean, you can literally clean it with, you know, bleach, anything you want. It, it'll never ghost or stain. So it's a beautiful, beautiful surface. Uh, but it also allows flexibility to brand into your classrooms uh, as well. So uh, what, is, what do I mean by that? We can print anything on the backside of a piece of glass. 
And so whether that be a grid pattern for a science lab so that they can have a, a grid to go off of and draw straight lines and graphs, or whether it means a logo for the university, we can do that on the, on the wall. We also have products that are mobile, so mobile and magnetic. So all of our glass can be magnetic. It allows super flexibility to drag a, a group projects out into the hall and then just wheel it around if you like, flip it around, it's two-sided. So we've got some really innovative products there. So it's not just the visual communication of it, which by the way, uh, most of us kind of have a proclivity toward that visual learning style as opposed to auditory and, and kinesthetic, but mm -hmm. most of us are kind of visual learners. So, uh, you know, if a group meeting does break out, you know, by chance in the hall and there's a, a glass board sitting there, you know, luckily you can scrawl some notes and it helps the group uh, just to really uh, learn everywhere. Learning happens everywhere. That's a, a mantra right now, especially in K through 12. So uh, not only do we just help uh, beautify and, and allow some for some great writing surfaces, but uh, just we help people collaborate. There's two new products I want to mention very quickly so we can wrap. Uh, but one is called View. And what we realized is that uh, in a classroom, when a professor's writing notes all over the board and then they want to show a video or want to show some slides, they typically will drop a screen down in front of their notes while they're showing the video. Well, that's it's okay, but guess what? You've just covered up all the notes. And um, what if, what if that professor writes on this screen with a marker? <laughs> that screen's toast. You have to buy another one pretty much. So we picked up on some of these uh, uh, problems to solve in the classrooms and in conference rooms, and we came up with a product called View. It is a dual-purpose product. It's not just a glass marker board, which it always is. It's also a projection screen on the ready. It's a basically a movie, high-def quality movie screen that happens to also be a writing surface that's glass. Hmm. Well, really fun stuff. Yeah, that's that's really really fun stuff. So uh, view is really taken off in university settings. Um, interestingly, it, it works really well in uh, athletics. Um, a lot of film rooms use it, uh, but a lot of classrooms just use it as uh, their primary surface, and uh, they write on it when they need to, and they can project on it whenever they need to. So it's a great dual purpose product called view. The second one that I wanted to mention is one called Glide. And Glide, very simply put, is sliding glass on glass. Very beautiful. Um, as our wall surfaces shrink in, you name it, conference rooms, offices, um, our, our wall surfaces are shrinking because everything's opening up. You know, there's a lot more glass out there just to let light into buildings and stuff like that. So wall surface is actually diminishing. But as wall surfaces diminishes, um, we have we've created glide to give you a little bit more surface to ride on and not only that you have a sliding panel of glass over another panel of glass it's so beautiful and you can brand it it's magnetic uh really fun stuff but you know why we invented it is because athletics in the university setting came to us from several different schools and said our coaches are wanting to reveal the starters and have that be a really special thing for the players and so you can do that with Glide. You can preload content and reveal it. Uh, you can also hide content. So let's just say a professor is uh, working you know, the notes through the lesson, and then they want to do a quiz, whoosh, hidden. You don't have to spend time erasing it. You just glide it over. Or you know, for athletics, they do a lot of recruiting information that's very sensitive, uh, and they, they like to leave it up. 
so they can think on it and chew on it. Well, when people walk by, they don't want it just out in the open. So Glide is a product that they can just slide it over and hmm. cover it uh, as people walk by. So some of these products are super innovative. They're, they're really customizable. And uh, I'm real proud of the way Claros has picked up on the needs uh, and, and are really offering solutions into the university setting. Yeah, well, it sounds like this technology is meeting aesthetic needs, it's meeting functional needs, and it's coming at the perfect time when universities are needing to adapt to this next generation of students. So I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Trey, and giving us all this insight. I feel like I learned a lot, and I think our audience learned a lot too. Um, I feel like maybe our audience probably knows a lot of this already, or at least seeing it firsthand, but it's great to know that companies that are providing solutions in this space also understand that trend and are building their solutions to be, well, you know, perfectly suited for this next generation of students. So yeah, thanks, Trey, for joining us on this podcast. Really enjoyed chatting. All right. Thanks, man. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Glasses in Session. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.